I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. Welcome to episode 170 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we discuss recording using multiple microphones in the same room. In this week's Better Podcasting Download, we talk about a recent Apple email and what that means for you as a podcaster. And hint, it means there's a lot of work. And finally, we have... Actually, just hold on. One sec, SP. Just hold on. Hold on. Hold on. What? We're... Wait, where are you going? I just gotta, yeah, find, I gotta find something. Hold on. We're live. Yeah, 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 we're re- yeah. Hold we're on. recording. I'm looking we're... for. I'm looking for something. What are you looking for, man? I don't. Just one sec. I use it a lot. I know it's here somewhere. I hope. Hold on. You were supposed to be ready before we hit record. Ah, I got it. I got it. I got it. You got what? What'd you get? Well, I I just had to simply get my soapbox for the Apple story. That's all. Just had to get my soapbox. I see. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we run down some feedback, including some hot off the presses talk in our Discord server about the Apple story. Lauren, start the show now. Welcome to Better Podcasting, a show where we talk about podcast tips, tools, and best practices to help you succeed with your podcast. What makes us different? Well, just like you, we podcast purely out of the love and fun of it. Podcasting is our hobby, and we recognize that it's yours, too. We always encourage your questions and feedback, and you can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. Here's your host for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to episode 170 of Better Podcasting. I am Steven Soapbox John Drew, and joining me, of course, is the wonderful, the fantastic, the true talent of this show, Stargate Pioneer. Well, thank you very much, Steven. Please call me SP. And I got to tell you, I'm a little bit edgy this week. I'm a little bit frosty. There's just some things we got to talk about later. It's the beard, man. It's the beard. I see. Maybe just a little too scratchy and get me irritated. Do you think that's it? Absolutely. But before we get to those things that are going to make SP just lose his you know what, we like to kick off our episodes with what we call a How I Save My Podcast story. This is where something's gone horribly wrong with your podcast or maybe just a little bit wrong. And we like to start off the show with you telling the story and also talking about how you fixed the problem. Thus, you saved the podcast. Now, We actually have a How I Save My Podcast story lined up today, but before we do, we want to just let you know, if you've had something go wrong and you want to share your story, you can get in touch with us through a variety of ways, including just going over to betterpodcasting.com or sending us an email to podcast at betterpodcasting.com. And here's a little sample of what a How I Save My Podcast story sounds and looks like. Hey guys, this is Garrett from the podcast Good Patron with my How I Saved My Podcast story. My show is all about crowdfunding and how we can become good patrons of the music we listen to. So early in the show, I decided I wanted to interview the head of music at Kickstarter, and that would just be a huge score. I reached out to her and she was very open to doing the interview. I was really excited, but she couldn't do it over Skype, had to just be a regular phone call, which meant using my work laptop, not my standard laptop, because I can do a voice over IP phone call. 
So I got all that set up. I'm using OBS to capture the phone call. So it can uh, do her as one track and me as another. And I'm ready to go and the, you know, the phone is ringing. I'm hitting record and I'm all excited and it doesn't look like it did anything. So I hit record again and we have this really great conversation. And at the end, I go to stop the recording and you guessed it. I, I started the, the recording. It hadn't been recording at all because I was so excited. I pushed record twice and I had about a one second clip. So, um, I called her back to say, I'm so sorry, I just totally spaced, I ruined it, I don't have anything. And she was willing to reschedule. So we rescheduled for another day, another time. I got a great interview the second time, very similar to the first, um, but it was good to actually catch it this time. I made sure everything was recording before I even called her. And uh, as a thank you later, I shipped her a pound of coffee from a local roaster here in Phoenix just to say thanks for, for uh, giving me a second chance. So sometimes the way you save your podcast is uh, humiliating yourself or humbling yourself to say I screwed up and ask for a second chance. And in this case, it worked out. Thank you so much for sending that in. For those of you who don't know, we actually have a full video show companion at betterpodcasting.com. There is a video and an audio version of this this musical theater program, we'll call it that. And uh, that was a video clip. So we do really appreciate when people send in their clips, but we really, really, really appreciate when people take the extra time to send us video so that the video viewers have something to look at other than our ugly mugs. So thank you very much for sending that in. SP, I'll let you address this first. I remember the first time I had to call a co-host. Actually, it was two or three co-hosts. And I said, hey, guys, uh, I didn't record. And it was a great episode. It was a great episode of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. It was in our early days. And I had just taken over the show. And I had to break it to him and said, I didn't record today. Did anybody happen to record there, Ed? And no, nobody had. So we're like, okay, we're going to do this one again. And actually, the show turned out better the second time around because we were still getting our feet underneath us. But I can't imagine. I never had to actually call a guest and say, I need to redo this or uh, somebody I'm interviewing because I've dropped so many just trying to record. I put so many backups in place that I can always grab a version and work with that. Now, if the audio isn't great, I'm just going to have to take it. But the first thing I will say, it's happened to everybody. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, it is going to happen to you where you're going to lose a recording. The second thing is backups are your key. And the third thing is if you do have to contact somebody and ask them to do it again, that's not a co-host, a guest, be very gracious about them spending their time with you again. And I love the coffee at the end. I, I think that was a great punctuation point into the whole process, because if you've got to put somebody through it again, then you might as well do something nice for them. I love the coffee. I think it's such a nice touch to really show your appreciation. And that's a really good way to possibly mend a relationship that might not have been mended. Because let's be honest, if someone's going to agree to do your interview, they probably have a reason that benefits them as well. They're looking for something, right? Like, you know, People go on talk shows all the time because they want to plug their stuff, right? It's not just because they want to hang out with Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel, right? So there's a, there's a reason behind that. And so they might be willing to do that a second time just to get that message out there. But they might do it a little bit sour. But you send the coffee 
And it's like, okay, look, I've mended that. And, and you're showing how genuinely appreciative you are. So I love it. And I think that it's great. Definitely worth having backups where possible, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. And I will say this, I got to call out SP right now. He says he's never had to say to somebody before that's guested that they lost the recording. He told me that when I was on his show, he said he lost the recording and, and I don't know. So would you lie to me? What? What are you talking? Which show are you talking about? But anytime I've been on your show, you've oh, been like, I'm, so I'm I sorry, Steven. I lost the recording. We can't push this out. I had to redo it without you every single time. Every, yeah, mm -hmm, that's it. Well, you know, you should get the hint of me stopping asking you to be on my shows because <laughs> we never publish them. That's just a joke, by the way. It's a joke. But if you got a How I Save My Podcast story, please do get in touch with us through any of the ways we would love to hear your story. But let's go ahead and move on to our featured segment before we talk Apple stuff. Oh, this is going to be a fun one because here at Better Podcasting, if there is one thing that we would love to do differently on this show, it's get rid of me, right? That's the, that's the number one thing that we'd love to do here on Better Podcasting. But if there was two, we would actually like to record together in person. Now, the thing is, although we've never done this show together in person, we actually have experience doing podcasting together in person but with other people on different podcasts. So today we want to talk a little bit about this, right, SP? Yeah, there's so many benefits that come from podcasting in person. It's a genuine joy when I actually get to do it because I'm solo podcasting for the majority of time. Heck, even when my son has been in the studio with me or a friend has been in the studio with me, oftentimes we're just one part of the party here and there is other people across the internet. But podcasting in person is great because you get to see each other's body language, not just a headshot if you're doing video or no, if you're just doing audio. So you can get that body language and you can draw off of it. There is definitely also a natural feel that adds to a layer of passion as you're discussing a topic in person, you can get a little bit more angry because they're seeing your body language. You can laugh a little bit more because you're seeing they're not offended by what you've said. So there is all sorts of goodness. And you can also not take so long to warm up because you're in person, you're already talking because you're discussing where you're sitting, at, where are my levels, and you're doing all that in person. So you don't have to warm up so much as you might have to if you're recording over the internet. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen anytime soon for us here on Better Podcasting. But if you are lucky enough to record in person with your co-host, we applaud you. Now, while podcasting in person can be fun, the reality is we know that you run into an issue that we here on Better Podcasting don't have to worry about every week. Wearing pants. Well, I'm not wearing pants right now. So yes, you got me there, Stephen. <laughs> but no, that's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about recording multiple microphones in the same room. Now, recording together brings into consideration some audio issues that are different than recording with your guests and co-hosts over the internet. This is because that when you're connecting independently over the internet, you're essentially in separate sound booths because you are in different locations. 
But when you're in person, you have multiple people using multiple pieces of equipment in the same room. So it becomes a little bit more complicated in some regards to get decent audio recorded. So in this episode, we'll step through some factors of recording in the same room, some of the technical solutions available to you, and some best practices on how to record next to each other and some processing techniques afterwards that you may need to sound better in your episode. So Stephen, let's start off with some technical aspects. All right. So when you're going to record multiple microphones in a physical situation together, we have a couple different options that you're going to have to decide on that we want to present to you right now. The first thing that you want to decide is whether you want to accomplish this using multi-track or just doing a single mono slash stereo track. So everybody on the same track or everybody on individual tracks. Now, some common ways that you might want to record people in person that you kind of have to think about when you're answering this question is an audio mixer. An audio mixer is a device that sits wherever and everybody's microphones plug into that that mixer and it shockingly mixes the audio together. Generally speaking, these audio mixers are single track. When you go and you're like, I need to save money, I'm a hobbyist, and you go and you find something that's 80 bucks, yeah, that's probably single track. But we're seeing some more options come out like the Zoom L12 is multi-track. The Rodecaster Pro is supposed to be multi-track soon. In theory, it's uh, a day we record this February 27th, and they said it was out by the end of February. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. So we'll see if the firmware <laughs> updates out tomorrow. Or yeah. Not. Uh, another thing that you might want to use is a portable recorder. This is something like a Zoom F4 or a Zoom H6, you know, a single device that is meant to record different microphones or different devices together. And a lot of these por portable recorders are multi-track. The ones that we just mentioned are an audio interface is another thing that you might want to use if you're going to record all these microphones together. Now, an audio interface generally goes into like a computer, sometimes could go into a tablet or a phone, but generally it goes into a computer. And the thing with these are they're kind of split. Sometimes they're multi-track. Sometimes they're just a stereo track. It really depends on the interface. You probably have to spend a little bit more money to be able to get multi-track, but that is a possibility if you are looking for a multi-track solution. So how exactly do you decide on this? Well, when you're deciding for an in-person setup, you actually are a little bit different than when you are in a single room by yourself just recording yourself. There's a lot of similarity, but we want to go over some pros and some cons, specific, mostly specific, to recording in the same room. Let's kick it off with some multi-track pros SP. You definitely have the ability to make changes if somebody talks over each other. Now, this can happen easily when you're in the same room because sometimes the conversation can be a little bit easier to understand in person than in a podcast. So you're talking back and forth and one party over talks the other and you don't think about it too much because you're in person. But afterwards, if you're editing the podcast, you can clearly see that none of it's legible. You can't hear what's going on between the two or three parties just because everybody's over talking each other. So multi-track can help alleviate that in a variety of different ways, because when you edit, you can take out the other microphone or you can minimize the other microphone or microphones that are talking. You can also edit so you can take out a few of those extra pauses that might be there if you do multi-track it's just easier to do with multi-track than a single track 
And we'll get into more of this later. Now, some of the cons of a multi-track recording in person is the setup could potentially become a lot more complicated. Instead of just plugging everything into one device and then just recording a single track, you're actually recording multiple tracks. So who's monitoring that? Who's setting the levels back and forth? Who's making sure that one microphone is not picking up crosstalk from another? So it is a little bit more complicated and it does take an active producer to do this. It's happened every time that I have been podcasting in person. Sometimes I've been the producer. Sometimes I've just been the co-host or the guest. And I am really uh, have a lot of admiration for the producer that is working all that. And matter of fact, there was a live podcast that I attended for many years, actually, Stephen, that your brother was actually the producer of that. And that podcast would not have sounded as well as it did if your brother was not actively producing. He wasn't participating in the podcast. He did have a microphone, like the sound booth guy that chimes in every once in a while. So he wasn't an active participant, but he was a producer behind the scenes. And I think that worked out so well. So another thing that you're going to need to decide in addition to multi-track solo track is what type of microphone that you're going to use. And yes, everybody needs their own microphone, one for each speaker, one for each person who's speaking. Now, if you're thinking about sharing a microphone, we'll just say it, just don't bother continuing with this episode, you know, move on to the next segment and just don't pay attention to anything else here because you really need that one microphone per individual. The audio quality really sucks if you're not doing this. Even Chris and I, our co-host on Gonna Geek and my co-host on Starling Tribune, Chris, we're seasoned podcasters and we did a panel together at C2E2 and we were the two people that were sharing a microphone. It turns out that Chris projects his voice a heck of a lot better than I do. So the two of us, it was like he was he he was heard fine, but he could have been considered yelling into the microphone if somebody was actively producing and I could barely be heard. So I had to yell into the microphone in order to be heard. It's that sort of volume difference that could happen if you're going to even share a dynamic cardioid microphone, let alone a condenser microphone. So the next type of microphone that we're going to talk about, I've already referred to as a dynamic cardioid microphone. We do recommend that if you're going to have multiple people in the same room that you use one of these. It's called a dynamic cardioid microphone, and it is the type of microphone capsule that you're using. It's a dynamic, and the cardioid is the pattern that's coming off the microphone. It's a staple of bands, and we're using them in the broadcast room. So you've heard, if you've listened to Better Podcasting before, you know we've actually just hammered in. If you're going to podcast, use a dynamic cardio microphone for a hobby podcaster because you're not going to be in a soundproof environment. Now, if you're going to be relatively close to each other, you're going to need something with a very narrow pickup pattern like a Sennheiser MD46. You don't need a Sennheiser MD46. I'm just using that as an example. It has a super cardio pattern so that it is really focused right in front of the microphone and not off to the sides and not behind. Now, these types of microphones are our choice because we've used them in person with people that were literally touching each other shoulder to shoulder. They work really well. And another type of microphone that might work well for you if you're going to continually podcast in person is a shotgun microphone with a narrow pattern. And that will work well, but it's also a lot more expensive. 
Yes, you can use any dynamic cardio microphone, like the Blue Encore 100 that we've been talking about forever, the Samsung Q2U or the ATR2100 from Audio-Technica. Yes, all those are dynamic cardio. But if you're going to be doing this on a continual basis, you might want to step up your investment in microphone just a little bit because it's going to really drive you crazy in post trying to uh, separate those voices on one of those microphones. So something like a Sennheiser MD46 is going to be of more value to you. And with the shotgun microphone, by the way, it is worth noting that a lot of those shotgun microphones, and I think it's most of them are condenser based. So you kind of have to go and actually step up uh, the money to be able to get something that is not just going to pick up everything if you look at the cheap or the cheap shotgun microphones they pick up everything they're they're way worse than than uh some of the other alternatives that we mentioned so if you're not willing to spend money on a decent shotgun microphone don't expect performance so you're talking a few hundred dollars to get into the realm of like the rode ntg3 or even a thousand dollars to get the sennheiser mkh 416 which is a staple for a lot of voiceover people in any case, the other type of microphone that Stephen just alluded to is a condenser microphone. We usually don't recommend condenser microphones for a hobby podcast setup because of the soundproofing needed and the fact that you're not used to using that type of equipment. So condenser microphones can be very good microphones because they're powered microphones and they pick up everything, but that's the problem. They pick up everything. So if somebody's doing the dishes right outside that door right now, you'd probably hear it with a condenser microphone, but with this dynamic cardio microphone that I'm speaking into, you can't hear the people banging the dishes in the next room. But if you're going to use a condenser microphone, don't use it for multiple speakers in the same room. It's really gonna cause you a lot of frustration and irritate you, especially during post-processing or if you're monitoring, because you're gonna wonder where this echo is coming from, or where this peak is coming from, and it's just because these microphones are gonna pick up the crosstalk quite a bit, the only way we'll say that you should try to use multiple condenser microphones in person is if you can lock each other in individual separate rooms or if you have enough money for soundproof booths. And yeah, most people that are doing this for a hobby really aren't going to do that. So it's just really not worth trying to use multiple condensers in the same room if you're going to record in person. And let's be honest, if you're going to lock each other in, the, in different rooms, why are you doing it in person anyways? You don't really need to. You're already locked away. That's right. The next technical thing that we want to talk about here is the type of cable that you use for your podcast setup, because you're going to need to pick up at least a cable per microphone and probably a little bit more. If you're going to plug in headphones, or you're going to maybe wire that weird and give yourself a backup so that you have an awesome how I save my podcast story. So when you do pick cable and you're going to have so many people in the same room, here's the thing becomes a lot harder to have neat cable pass when you have a bunch of people sitting around a table or whatever in a circle all going to a mixer. So this means that cables are likely going to cross. They're probably going to cross paths somewhere and you're going to get close to each other. And if you don't choose the right cable, you could find that you have all sorts of wonderful line noise introduced as those cables cross. So we do recommend that you do look when you're buying cable for, you know, something that advertises, of course, having decent shielding. Uh, try to, where you can, use that XLR cable because generally that's going to be a balanced signal and that helps with line noise when you're going long distances and whatnot. 
there's a whole technical thing behind that. If you want to ask more, go to gunnageek.com slash discord or betterpodcasting.com slash discord. And we'll chat over there with you about that. But also look for the gauge of the cable. If you can get a little bit thicker cable, it does help as well maintain some of that low noise floor. We're not going to go ahead and recommend a bunch of cables because as hobbyists, there's a bunch of different options that are half decent. So definitely, if you have questions, ask us in our Discord server. This next thing is something that I know is near and dear to Stargate Pioneer because he's such an organizer, right, SP? I do have a label maker, so we're going to talk about labeling. Yes, for ease of use for your equipment and understand where all the equipment is going to and from in a multiple person setup, we do recommend labeling. And when I say labeling, I mean label everything. You want to label your cables. You want to label the channels on your mixer or your interface or your recorder, whatever it is, with the microphone number or if you're a pretty static group, the person that usually uses that microphone. You can color code microphones as well. And I've seen this done a lot. Matter of fact, you see this do, done a lot in professional performances. And I believe I was watching the Super Bowl halftime and I saw color-coded wireless microphones. And that is definitely needed with a wireless setup because you don't know which microphone goes where. The same thing is really true in your home hobbyist multiple microphone setup, even with cables, because you're trying to mess around with the faders on your mixer or get the gain right, get the leveling right, and you don't know which one you're really dealing with. So labels makes that a lot easier. So go ahead and label the channels on your device that you're using, the microphones, the cables, and also you can create an inventory list that you can make sure that you're not missing items as you're setting up and tearing down. Because a lot of the multiple person podcasts that I've been a part of, it's been a temporary setup. So people set it up and they tear it down and they revert the room back to whatever it is, a pool table, an office, a game room, a living room, dining room, whatever. Or if you're at a convention center or a hotel, you're doing that same sort of thing. So you want to make sure that you don't forget things and labeling things is a way to do that and also creating an inventory list. And you can use it as a checklist when you're setting this stuff up. Yeah, and also you can make sure that your dirty, rotten co-hosts aren't stealing your stuff, right, SP? That's a concern you have with me. I do, because you're a Canadian and you steal everything. We need to build that wall on the northern border of the United States. <laughs> Fair enough. Another thing that we want to talk about that you might possibly consider using is a hardware gate. A hardware gate is a piece of equipment that essentially will plug into normally your microphone. So your microphones go into the hardware gate and it essentially is an auto mute. That's the best way to think about it. When somebody's not speaking, it ends up closing that signal so that you don't have it making any noise. Now, this can be helpful because it can often help prevent crosstalk between the different channels because you are in a setup where you might end up having one microphone pick up a neighboring person. The hardware gate can help prevent that where it ends up uh, essentially closing when it's not getting a strong enough signal, thus eliminating potential crosstalk. So a hardware gate is something that a lot of people do use when they've got many people in the same room. So we've discussed a lot of the technology, the equipment that is particular to recording multiple people in the same room. We're going to move on to the actual setup itself. How are you going to use all this stuff? 
And the first thing that we're going to try to help you with is to mitigate reverb or echo. Now, this is one of the things that if you're recording multiple people, it's the one of the best things to do is try to reduce the echo or reverb in the room. And this is because when you're going to have more than one microphone in the room, they're likely facing different directions, meaning there's essentially more of the room noise that's mic'd up. There are different ways to try to reduce this. Using a carpeted room is obviously the first one that I would recommend. If you had to have your choice between the dining room with hardwood floors or a great room with carpeting on it and a low ceiling, I would say the great room would be a better place to mic everybody up because the floor is not going to bounce audio back and forth. So that's number one. Number two, if you can choose a place that has limited windows because windows are nice flat surfaces that will bounce audio waves off the, them pretty easily, that would be good too. So if you have your choice between the great room that's carpeted with a low ceiling and maybe a basement room that's carpeted with a low ceiling, the, or the great room has a lot of windows in it. The basement room has maybe one window or no windows in it. The basement will probably be a better place for you to go. And then another thing to consider and yes, even though we've been talking about using dynamic cardioid microphones, which get, should get you out of audio treatment, you might need to place some audio treatment around the room to mitigate that reverb. This is foam treatment that you've seen, those little foam panels, perhaps a moving blanket that you put up in a particular area because sound waves are bouncing back and forth off of it. Or if you happen to be in a room like mine, if you've ever seen my room without my backdrop up, I've got a bunch of bookshelves back there. Those bookshelves act as a tremendous sound trap because those books just soak up all that audio and trap it behind them in the shelves. So if you do have books, like if you're doing a geeky podcast and you have a lot of comic books out, you know, that would be a great place in uh, bookshelves with comic books. That would be a good place to record. You know what I do? What's that? I have younger kids and as you know, younger kids make a lot of friends. So I just have them invite all of their friends over and I get the heaviest winter coats and whatnot that I can find and I put them in those and they all stand around me essentially just making a bunch of sound deadening. So that's what I do is I just I just use the kids to be my sound baffles. Obviously, they don't have child labor laws up by where you live. <laughs> And another thing that you want to prevent is opening and closing doors, cupboards, dishwashers, refrigerators, grills, that sort of thing. You don't want banging pots going around when you're recording. So that is just ambient noise that you want to reduce. And if you're recording with an open door, that allows sound to travel out and in. Same with a window, travel, sound is traveling out and in. So you want to avoid that. Moving on to the microphone use itself, we've talked about this before, but we're going to reiterate it here because it is important. The microphone position itself is important. You want to try to face the microphones away from each other as best as possible to reduce that microphone bleed because you don't want one microphone picking up what another microphone is picking up. For example, if you're podcasting in person with two people, you want to actually face each other. That means that you are speaking into the rear of your partner's microphone and vice versa. So that will reduce the amount of microphone bleed that's there. And you want to make sure that you use good microphone technique. What is that? Just to reiterate, we've talked about this before, but each person should have the 
close enough to their mouth to reduce microphone bleed. You're talking uh, somewhere four to six inches. We usually say you might want to get a little closer. I remember the first podcast I did in person, the producer, he said, eat the microphone. So literally my mouth, my lips were on the foam as I was talking. And what he did to mitigate that cross bleed, I was wondering why he did that, by the way, for years. But it's come to my attention that what he was doing is he was reducing the gain so much that if I had backed off of the microphone, which was the Sennheiser E835, by the way, which, so it was a dynamic cardioid microphone. If I backed off that microphone, he wouldn't have been able to hear me as well. So I did need to eat the microphone. That's a little excessive. I don't think that I would recommend that, but I would recommend getting maybe a little closer because normally we say four to six inches, I'd say two to three inches away from the microphone and make sure you're on the microphone the entire time in order to get that done. So the next point is obviously reduce the gain as much as possible. You don't want to crank the gain because cranking the gain will not only bring in a lot of ambient and noise room, which we've already talked about, but it will also bring in sounds from the other people that are speaking and recording with you. So you want to lessen the gain. You want to have enough gain so you can hear the individuals, but you want to have well, as few of gain as possible, as less a gain as possible, because you don't want to overdo that at all. So Stephen, there's another thing that they can do, and it involves where the microphone sits. Yes, we absolutely recommend that you use stands where possible. Now, you could definitely use desk stands, uh, you know, those wonderful scissor arms that you see a lot of people have, and those are great in a permanent position, but... If you're not going to be in a permanent setup, what we actually recommend is that you use some floor standing boom stands. These are th things that you often see musical artists use when they're on stage, especially if you've ever seen someone playing an acoustic guitar. You usually see that stand come up and it it's, uh, comes sort of down at a sharp angle and they're, you know, it's, they're mic'd up nicely with their guitar. These work really well because they're so adjustable. They have multiple adjustment points that you can really help get that microphone in a position that is comfortable for the speaker. If you got yourself a sloucher, it's really no problem. If they want to be sprawled out in a couch, you, all you got to do is adjust a couple of screws, slide that boom out and get it right in their face. And it makes a big difference if you have people who do like to be on comfortable chairs or in living room furniture or things like that. A boom stand is by far the the easiest way to go and really is very flexible. Plus the bonus part of that is that it's actually on the floor, not on the desk, which you might be banging. So it's a really, really great way to accomplish miking up somebody using a stand because you don't really want to handle the microphone. But if you are insistent on handling the microphone, try to use one that has really low noise handling uh, or handling noise, I should say, like the MD-46. The MD-46 is our go-to recommendation because it was made for interviews. So it's really great for reduced handling noise. Another great thing to use in addition to a microphone stand is shock mounts. Both Stephen and I actually have shock mounts on our microphones right now. And to add into what a shock mount is. My Electrovoice RE320 is still mounted within the shock mount. So you can see these are rubber bands that the microphone sits in to isolate it from the actual stand itself. You can get shock mounts for even dynamic cardio handheld microphones as well. We've always recommended the onstage 
MY320 and MY425, depending on how thick your microphone is. There's a bunch of different shock mounts available. I would definitely recommend getting one of those, especially if you're using the microphone with a stand. It will help isolate the microphone from extraneous noises and desk bangs and desk hits. If you're doing a gaming podcast, you're definitely doing that in person, the tabletop gaming podcast you're going to have a whole lot of table noise and you want to mitigate that as much as possible. So isolating the microphone from the stand is a great way to do that. The next thing that we want to quickly talk about is making sure that everybody is set and comfortable before you hit record. And this, I'll be honest, comes out of a pet peeve of mine that I've heard from many people who record in person. And it's that they basically get the show started before everybody's comfortable. And then you hear the people popping their drinks, getting up, opening the fridge, doing all these things. Really make sure that everybody is comfortable and ready to go before you hit record. Make sure everybody's had their bathroom break. Make sure everybody has their drink ready to go because it is really, really annoying when you have that background noise come up of Jimmy opening up the fridge or Sally going and making herself a wonderful taco salad that you can hear the lettuce crunching and then... Sorry. Uh, heard that <laughs> Somebody's hungry yeah. for dinner. Uh, yes. hungry, yeah. Another thing that could happen is maybe somebody leaves to go to the bathroom. They come back and when they come back, they're tripping over cords and they're ripping cords out and everything. You got to start, stop recording and reset everybody at that point. So if you don't want to ruin the flow of your podcast, make sure everybody is comfortable and set and everybody understands that they're going to be recording for the next however long it is. If you need to take breaks in the middle of your podcast, like maybe you are doing a tabletop gaming session, make sure you schedule in breaks however long you need them, whether it's a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, something like that. Schedule a break so everybody can go off and relax a little bit and then come back refreshed. One thing that I've noticed is people start trailing off as they're recording for about an hour. And it just so happens that our podcast normally lasts an hour. So if you can keep that energy up for a certain time period and then take a break, that's good. But you definitely want to make sure when everybody comes back, either at the beginning or after a break, that everybody is comfortable and you're set to record for however long that you're supposed to record. So that is setting up for recording. Now you've gotten that recording, you press record, you press stop, you save the file, you backed up the file. It is now time to move into post-production. We do have a few tips of things to do in post-production to help you if you've recorded in an environment with multiple people in the same room. The first one is similar to a tip that we already gave, which was a hardware gate. Well, guess what? There are software gates also out there that you can use or plugins in each track. And this is definitely appropriate if you've recorded multi-track. That means that each individual track, if you apply the noise gate, you can actually gate out some of that crosstalk that's coming in through the microphone. This is very useful if you don't have the hardware gate. Also, be prepared to manually edit that crosstalk that SP just spoke about by essentially deleting the sections on individual tracks when that person's not speaking or going in and, you know, depending on the software you use, might draw down the volume at that time. Uh, it's definitely something that if you have somebody who is projecting, no matter how hard you try in to address that in the actual recording chain, you sometimes get them bleeding into other tracks because they just project. So absolutely, you might have to go in and manually edit that out. And it can be a royal pain. Trust me, every single panel that SP has done in person, I've had to do that. 
That's because we've made a deal. I'll go out and do the panel. He'll do the post-production. That's how that's happened in the past. Now, another thing to keep in mind, though, if you're recording in person, remember what we said at the beginning, there's a lot of energy going back and forth, and there's a lot of great conversation, maybe arguments or laughter. Be prepared to allow some crosstalk in that post-production. You want to minimize it for sure, but you want to maximize the fact that you're in the same room recording together. So make use of some of that crosstalk. It's the benefits of being in the same room and allowing it for short periods of time to accentuate a point, I think, is actually beneficial. So make sure that you actually leave some of that in and you're not trying to separate absolutely every time somebody's talking over somebody else. One of my favorite ways that crosstalk is used effectively is when there is a funny situation. You usually hear it on the radio. You have two hosts together in the same room. Co-host A says something funny and you hear co-host B laughing off of their microphone because it just sounds like they're just like belly laughing up in the air, right? Like, you know, it's absolutely a really effective way to use that. Another thing that you can do in not silence every other track is you can just de-emphasize the other tracks, bring down the gain for those tracks or the volume for those tracks for a period of time where you're trying to emphasize a certain speaker. You can say that there's other things going on in the room, just like Stephen was saying with the belly laughter, but really accentuate the main person speaking. And one way to do that is not touch the gain of the individual person that is talking that you want to make sure stays in there who should be leveled to begin with. And then you just take the volume down on the other tracks and they're still there. You still get that ambiance, but you accentuate the person that you want to make sure is heard. And finally, remember we talked all about the echo and deverb and make sure you use dynamic cardio microphones and a carpeted room, stuff like that. There's still a possibility that you're going to get that. There's more of a possibility that you're going to get that in a multiple microphone situation. So one way to mitigate that in post is to use a deverb plugin. This increases your chances of removing that. You might not completely be able to get rid of it but you're going to minimize it. And I think it's worked well for me. I mean, I podcast with a co-host who, even though she's using a dynamic cardio microphone, sounds like she's in a freaking tunnel (laughs) and I use D-verb and it helped. It's just the fact that her room is not sound treated at all. She's got to have hardwood floors in there. And I just use the D-verb plugin and it works. And it will also work if you need it in person. So in summary, while there is definitely a lot of overlap between not recording in person and recording in person together, ultimately recording together in the same room is its own beast. Now, we've both done this before, and we definitely agree there's a lot of pros to recording in person, but it can be really tough to achieve clean sound with so many people in the same room on a hobbyist budget. But again, with that said, if we could do it, if all of a sudden SP can afford to fly me over to him every week, we would prefer to record in person. If you happen to record your podcast in person and you have a tip that we haven't covered here, please get in touch with us. I know for a fact that several people that listen to this podcast, like Damien from Aurelia Pod, say it with me, Stephen. You ready? 
Aurelia Pod. See, we could do that better in person, too. I know. That would be great in person. So if you happen to have a tip that you use that we haven't covered that is valuable for everybody else, please get in touch with us all the ways. I mean, a video clip would be best. Audio clip would be second best. But if you have to get in touch with us via text, you can catch us on Twitter at BetterPod. You can send us an email, podcast at betterpodcasting.com, or you can always catch us at our Discord, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. Welcome to this week's Better Podcasting Download. All right. Are you ready for the soapbox moment? Here comes the soapbox moment. After SP tells you a little bit about the email that started this whole thing. Yeah, I am so ready for this. So I'm sitting at work, just minding my own business, actually doing work, you know, and I get just a couple of notifications. I'm like, hey, what's going on here? And then I take a, a look. and I'm like, what? What is that? Okay, full disclosure. I have not personally received this email that Apple Podcasts sent out today. I have no idea why. I just haven't received on any of my emails that are podcast associated or specifically the email that is associated with my feeds in Apple podcasts or podcast connect. So I'm scratching my head over that one, but I've seen a copy of this email that Apple podcast sent out today. Kind of knew it was coming. I've heard different things in the industry over the past couple of years. Remember way back in episode 84, we talked about some new tags that Apple released at WWDC 2017. And we were all supposed to implement that. We, if you want to know more about that, go back to better podcasting episode 84, which you can find at betterpodcasting.com slash 84. And I said that for a reason that way, because yeah, this email, yeah, not so friendly with the episode numbers. So we got this email, dear podcast provider, and it goes, yada, 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 yada. We're doing a bunch of stuff to optimize your show. Here are some things to avoid. There's four things. Here are some things to avoid. Number one, include placeholder text from your hosting provider. For example, you don't want insert description here left in there. You actually want to either fill that out or delete. I think they would prefer you to fill it out, but don't leave the automatic, hey, here's where the description go, or here's where your title go, or here's where your author goes. You don't want that. You want the actual information in there. So that's number one. Number two, a verbatim repetition of the title or author name in the description. So they don't want you to waste the viewer's time or the listener's time reading the same information in multiple places. For example, Better Podcasting by Stephen and SP. They don't want Stephen and SP in the description that is in the author tag. Number three, incorporating irrelevant content or spam. So this is, we've talked about this before. You don't want to keyword stuff and that will get your podcast removed from Apple Podcasts. We've seen it happen to a bunch of actual podcasters about podcasting and it was not over the past year. So this is a reason to listen to better podcasting, by the way, if you're a podcaster, because you don't want to get your podcast removed. And that brings me to number four, talked about before, but it's really grinding me and it's grinding me for a lot of reasons. I'm going to let Steven go with his, but in 
first, I got to tell you what it is. Number four, adding episode numbers in the titles. That will get you booted from Apple Podcasts right now. Roughly 65% of all podcast listeners listen via Apple Podcasts app or iTunes, and that's not counting the third-party apps like Overcast or Pocket Cast or Beyond Pod that pulls from that uh, directory, that inventory. So you are losing over 65% of your listeners by removing, not, not subscribers, because once they're subscribed, they still get your stuff, but new people will not be able to get up to more than 65% adding episode numbers in the titles. And Stephen, how do you feel about this, removing episode numbers from the titles? Well, first I want to highlight that all of these things that were in here do specifically have this line following what they say, which is these practices could result in your show being rejected or removed from Apple podcasts. So if I'm being honest here, I think that it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, because we've seen Apple act on many of these things before we've seen at least two of these things Apple act on. So why would they not continue with the other things, including the numbering? So before we get into my my soapbox moment here, I do want to just mention that here at Better Podcasting, our position is that if you are doing this, you really should probably take the time to go and make the corrections needed because of what SB said. On average, 65% of people find you through Apple Podcasts. Your show mileage may vary. Ours does. But you still don't want to be that show that has a big missed opportunity because you're not following the Apple standard. There's so many people that are integrated to that Apple directory, you really, really want to be in that Apple podcast directory. So this means go and take a look at what options are available if you're using a media host or if you're using PowerPress. For example, many media hosts, they do have the specific iTunes fields that are there for the episode number or the iTunes specific uh, title. With PowerPress, you can enable these settings. They're not on by default but you can go under PowerPress, then settings, then episodes, and you can turn them on as well. So we do think you should probably take the time to do that because again, you don't want to get kicked out and be very, very sad because it's missed opportunity. Now, with that said, now is when I get a little bit soapboxy because I've alluded to it before on the show. I've got some things that I've implemented for the guineageek.com show and any potential future projects that I might work on where... I have a lot more control than the average self-hoster that's using PowerPress. Let's just say that I've got a way, and, I, and I've had this for a while now, where I can make my own feeds. We'll call them destinations because it's a large term that a lot of people know because of Libsyn. But I can essentially make my own destinations for my RSS feed. And I have decided that after this, I am most definitely going to go ahead and make an Apple-specific feed for the gunnageek.com show, because I take big issue with the way that Apple has been making so many changes, essentially coming off willy nilly for the last year. So I'm definitely going to be taking the gunnageek.com show, and I'm not going to have the primary feed being indexed by Apple Podcasts. I'm going to have a specific version of it specifically for Apple Podcasts, meaning that my main RSS feed that might be used elsewhere will be its own thing and Apple Podcasts will have its own version. Now, here is the thing that I have with everything that came out today is that I really think that this indicates that Apple has way too much control because they're able to just go 
and do whatever they want and say, these are the standards that we want for the titles or for whatever. And people are willing to follow blindly because Apple has controls. Today, the countless podcast advice givers that we saw saying, go and make title changes, or here's how you go and you use the tool that media host A has, or here's the quick summary of what you need to know. Make sure that you follow these guidelines. We saw so many people doing this, and really, that is part of the problem, is the way that we're willing to just blindly follow Apple. And that includes what we just recommended. This is advice that everybody's giving for good reason, but it is part of the problem. Apple said jump, and we said how high. And that's exactly what happened. When we said how high, that was when we said do we want to remove or you want us to remove the title? And that was the version of the how high. So that's definitely a problem if Apple's able to just do that on a whim. And I do have big, big frustrations with that. And honestly, every single person that has given this advice is really responsible for giving Apple more control. And again, that includes us because we are all agreeing as an industry, we're going to say how high when Apple says jump. Now, lots of people are pointing out it's relatively easy to fix with different media hosts and with different tools that are available. But the thing is, podcasting's not that new anymore. So there are people who have been doing shows for many, many years, including us here. I've got 277 episodes of the GuinnessGeek.com show, 170 episodes of Better Podcasting. SP, how many do you have? Over 270 episodes of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., over 230 episodes of Starling Tribune, 50 episodes, give or take, of Voices of Defiance, and about 85 episodes of Longbox Edition. So really, we have to go in now and manually edit out episode numbers from all of our titles that are affected by this. Now, don't you think that we'd rather be doing something else with that time? I, I, this has literally caused a problem with me with something that I had planned for development with guineageek.com because this now has to take some of my time. Now, there are bulk editors available on some services and there's some tools that are available to auto number your shows so you can go in and you can go, this one's one, auto number the rest with the iTunes tag. But the thing is, if you've added bonus content or you've deleted an episode or you've done anything else where you have messed up that order, then that auto tagger won't work. And there's a lot of people that have done that where they've just tossed in a bonus episode without having a number. So that auto number doesn't work. So again, they're going and putting in manual keystrokes. And what about the people that have two genres within their podcast? Two examples that come to mind from regular better podcasting interactors is the Sunshine and Power Cuts podcast, wonderful podcast by Heather Welsh. She's got two essentially categories of episodes. One is a Sunshine episode. One is what she calls the Power Cuts episode. And the way that she's got numbering in there is really easy to differentiate which is which. So if you only really care about one of them, well, first off, shame on you. You should definitely listen to them both. But if you do, you can skip over the ones that you don't care for. And another example was Damien in our Discord he does a, a bit of gaming podcast, and we'll leave it at that. And there is apparently a bunch of people who want to differentiate between the different game plays that they do. And so that can affect the numbering as well. So again, these are an example of us saying we have very valid reasons for doing the numbers or putting our specific title in there. But how high do you want us to jump Apple? 
Now, the only way that we can go ahead and say, no, Apple, I have bad knees. I'm not going to jump is if we start to take back some of that control. And honestly, as podcasters, I do think that we need to start taking the initiative to encourage the big players in the podcasting field to make changes to pull back some of that control. And I think one of the best ways that we could do that is if as an industry, we start moving to a platform where the primary feed that is listed on a media host or generated by a self-hosting option is not the one that caters to Apple. If we were to do that, we end up saying the primary feed that we're advertising is not the one that we are accommodating to Apple. We are going to go and take the Google Play method. Because remember, when Google Play podcast came out, they created a bunch of tags and most of the industry said, okay, we'll make a special version of that. We'll make a special version of that feed so that that feed has those tags. And if we do that for Apple, now when we're looking at things like developers looking at RSS feeds, they can go and develop based off of a universal standard, not the standard that Apple has created. When we go and we shove all of those tags in there that Apple is saying, then what ends up happening is developers now also have to cater to Apple. So there isn't an easy way for those developers to unlink themselves from Apple because the main feed is accommodating Apple. And I think that would be a big first step. Now, one thing that I kind of thought of hypothetically, let's say that a developer has gone and found a way that they read the title they recognize a lot of people put the number in the title. So they read the title and they pull that information out. So for whatever index they have, it's pulling out that episode number from the title and it's going, okay, now I can go and index that as a number in a separate column. Well, now all of that hard work that that developer did to be able to read that is going to go ahead and be gone because people are now going to start pulling those numbers out of the title. Now, if you're thinking that sounds far-fetched, keep in mind, Apple has been filtering the, the podcast name and the number for a while out of the start of episodes, uh, episode titles. So that technology isn't that hard to do to read that, identify that, and pull that out. So I really think that this is something that we really should try to pull back some of that control and, and stop letting Apple Podcasts dictate what's in the main feed. Again, if we look at the Google Play Podcasts analogy, we had a lot of people who did not implement those tags into the main feed. And it just goes to show that we kind of looked at things a little bit different. We said, okay, Apple, you've had the control for so long. Let's go ahead and accommodate you. But we're not going to do the same for Google, who is an up and comer. And when you have that happen, that's when you continue to give Apple the control because you're treating Apple differently than you are potential competitors to Apple. So ultimately, I think as podcasters, we need to encourage developers, the media hosts, the people making these plugins for WordPress, for self-hosting, all of these options. We need to encourage them to make the changes, to pull back some of those those things that are letting Apple maintain control because we want to be able to accommodate Apple because they do have the 65%, but we need to make changes so that that 65% drops and that Apple no longer has the power. This really frustrates me that Apple's able to go ahead and do these and just dictate things willy nilly because right now the way we're handling it is essentially we're saying that any non-Apple platforms essentially are going to go ahead and have to play second fiddle to Apple and use the default tags and incorporate anything that Apple ends up deciding to dictate into their practice. 
So if all of a sudden that developer that I mentioned earlier does have this wonderful script that reads those titles, well, now they have to go, okay, Apple, we will go ahead and we'll accommodate what you say and continue giving you the control. So I absolutely think Apple has too much power and we need to start making changes so that that power can be reduced. So that's my soapbox moment. I take really big issue with this because there is so many people, so many people who now have to put endless keystrokes in to delete things. And think about the grandpa who just got into the podcasting that does the chicken pecking typing. It might be easy for you to go in and put a couple keystrokes in. That grandpa or that person who is new to computers might end up actually having to go backspace, 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 backspace. You see it in, in the radio industry all the time. How many old radio people are in there that end up having to adopt new technology and they take a while. Same thing with podcasting. It can happen. So that's my soapbox moment. A big concern of mine, additionally to everything that Steven said, is why is Apple doing this? I don't think Apple is doing this on their own unless they just want everything to look pretty in their app or on iTunes. I think what's happened, and this is speculation on my point, I think what's happened is one or multiple users of podcasting came to Apple and said... We want you to change this because seeing those episode titles just irritates us and we want them gone. Now, whether that's a big podcast company, say like NPR, or it's a, and I don't know if NPR did, has done this or not, or if it's a, a distribution hub uh, in addition to Apple, somebody with a lot of money in the podcasting space, in my opinion, has gone to Apple and said, let's change this. And Apple said, oh yeah, this is a good idea. And they did so without really canvassing all their users. And it's causing a lot of people a lot of pain. Now, just to be clear, what we're talking about is not the title of your podcast or the, uh, I guess it's just your title. What we're talking about is the specific iTunes title. It's a tag called iTunes title and a tag called episode number within iTunes. Those are the two tags that we're talking about. You're supposed to be able to use the episode number in Apple Podcasts through this tag. It's not available yet. I'm hoping it's available soon because we have to take it out of our titles. And like I said at the beginning of this segment, go to betterpodcasting.com slash 84, episode 84. That is where we talked about this to begin with. And now without this episode number available in Apple Podcasts, People are like, what do you mean episode 84? I can't see episode 84. I don't know what you're talking about. And that's what grinds me. Also, what we are talking about is the iTunes title, not the main title. So it is a separate Apple-related title that you can keep separate from your main title. So you could still mainly title your show in the main title with an episode number if you want. You just can't do that or the podcast name in the iTunes title. And while I've removed like Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. from the iTunes title, I still had LOS 270, LOS 200, LOS 230 in there. I've had to remove those because I don't want my podcast removed from Apple Podcasts. We're going to have to do the same thing with better podcasting. I'm going to have to do the same thing with all the other shows I did. Fortunately, I am on Libsyn, like Steven said, and I have a, a edit, mass editing tool available that I can make it easier to go do. But it's still time. It still took me to do 270 episodes of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I did right before this show, took an hour. Yep. And it still takes time using their mass editor. 
And the other thing I think is worth considering is that every time Apple does this, it makes the process more complicated. You have people are highlighting the iTunes specific tag or the Apple podcast specific title tag that so many places that's an extra title that somebody has to enter in. And every time you add an extra tag, the whole reason behind media hosting the whole idea behind simplifying things becomes more complex. You're adding more tags. So again, Apple, we go ahead and accommodate Apple all we want. And, and the more we accommodate them, the more likely there's going to be more tags. It's annoying. It's frustrating. And, and I don't necessarily think that us being always willing to say how high Apple, how high would you like us to jump? is a good thing. I, I really don't. I think that Apple's done a lot for the industry, but I think that it's time that somebody else ends up making Apple check themselves before they wreck themselves. It's going to be whoever has the distribution, Stephen. Like I said, over 65% of the distribution runs through them. That's why everybody's jumping, because they want their podcast available to that percentage of distribution. As soon as distribution shifts, as soon as Android becomes more prevalent and people listen to podcasts more in non-iOS architectures, yeah, that is going to happen. But I think we're a few years off from that. Yeah, I agree. So anyways, there's our comment on this. Uh, let's go ahead and find out what people have to say in our Discord server about this in the Better Podback. All right. So this just came out today, of course, that we were recording this. This all, all happened within the last couple of hours. So I'm sure we're going to have a lot more feedback in the Discord server in the next couple of days. But here's a few highlights that we pulled from this afternoon. Zachary Webb said, Apple Podcast, just send out an email about the guidelines for shows, titles, authors, and episodes. That was how the whole thing got kicked off in the Discord server. So Zachary, thanks so much for sharing that. To which we had TGM4883 say, does Apple have a page somewhere I can review that? I'm going to need it in the next couple of weeks. And there was some back and forth. And guess what? At the moment, we didn't see a page, but I'm sure there'll be something in the future that gets published to their help document. We had Newsreel respond to a couple of my comments that I had telling me to, quote, calm yourself, Stephen, end quote. I'm cool with that. That's cool. I'll calm myself. Yeah, I, I probably would have been flying off the handle, too, but I don't have Discord available at work, so I couldn't fly off the handle. <laughs> Fair enough. We also had Waffle say, and this is why I only point people toward my website. If Apple decides to hate me, I don't have to hope people get the message to look elsewhere. Good point, Waffles. It's, it's always good to tell people to go to your website. Like we say, betterpodcasting.com. Damien the DM said, this sucks. Everyone, including myself in my actual play Discord, is in a tizzy trying to figure out how to rename things. Some of us want to be cheeky and do Roman numerals to see if Apple didn't think of that. I uh, I don't know. Good luck, basically. Like I said before, I had my episode numbers for Legends of Shield as LOS episode number, and I took that out because I just didn't want to chance it. Heather also responded, and she said, "If they do get displayed somehow, then that's something. Otherwise, my podcast concept gets even more confusing, and I don't want two separate shows." She's talking about the episode numbers. Like I said, LOS two seventy. She's got similar naming conventions for numbering in her two split shows in her one feed 
And I'm not sure that's going to be allowed or not. Like I said, you could try it, but I took mine out just because I don't want to deal with having my show removed from Apple Podcasts and then have to fight to get it reinstated. We've seen before with the keyword stuffing that this took days to get resolved for each individual show. And that's once you figure out that your show has been removed. So it is a delay in, in that. So you, I've just decided to play it safe. That doesn't mean that you guys can, if you want to use Roman numerals, if you want to <laughs> use that naming convention with the letters and numbers, you can try it. I'm saying that I'm not going to try it. I'm being risk adverse and I'm removing that. Yeah. So if you got something that you want to say about this, please get in touch with us through any of the ways. Uh, again, uh, I don't think that necessarily some of the reasons behind wanting to have some extra tags is a bad thing. I think there is some modernization that needs to happen, but I do think that the handling of this and the way that Apple can do this and has done this many times without saying anything as a problem. So we want to know, do you disagree, agree with us? Let us know. And then maybe we'll conclude your feedback next time on episode 171 of Better Podcasting. In the meantime, check out this and other full episodes at betterpodcasting.com. You can find all of the notes to do with this at betterpodcasting.com slash 170. SP, that was a fun episode today. We sure, uh, well, I sure went on a rant. I rant, but usually not that long. It seems like a lot of big news happens on Wednesdays right before we record, so we've been lucky in that fashion, but... I am looking forward to not getting this spun up about something in the podcasting industry in the future. Agreed. So for episode number 170 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew saying, wow, you listened through the rant or you skipped over it. Either way, kudos to you. And I'm SP saying, remember, watch that crosstalk when you're talking in the same room as your co-host. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. I'll take my soapbox down. Good idea. Thank you for listening to another episode of Better Podcasting. We want to hear from you. You can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. If you like the show, please consider giving us a five-star review in iTunes. We encourage you to check out all of the other geeky podcasts available at gunninggeeknetwork.com. This has been a Gunna Geek production. Thanks for listening, and we will see you again next week.